This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. In 1986, after 12 years on death row, Billy Sunday Burt's execution was stayed by the governor, meaning the death sentence would not be carried out as planned. Over the years, Burt would have eight separate stays of execution like this. The bittersweet story of how Stoney was allowed to spend eight hours alone with his father in his prison cell the night before the planned execution made me wonder how I would handle the same situation. Or could I even handle it? What would I say to my father? I mean, think about it for a minute. What would you say to a loving parent, a husband or wife, in the final hours of their life before being put to death by electric chair? Enough times passed where I can maintain my composure. When it catches me, when it sneaks up on me, <laughs> not when I get up in the mornings and I go fix me a cup of coffee and I'm sitting there by myself contemplating the day and all of a sudden this song comes on like, Precious memory at Roy Acuff pops on there and bam, it hits me. And I go back, you see, and that's what takes me out. That's getting to be less and less frequent. Uh, I'm able to compose and keep control of myself to the power of 10 better than I was a year ago. Over the next several years, Billy's relationship both with God and Sheriff Lee would continue to grow stronger. Lee would routinely make the drive to whatever federal prison Bert had been moved to and pick him up under the pretense of questioning him about murders in his county. In reality, it was so that Bert's family could spend time with him in the smaller local jail Lee oversaw. Up at that time, the 20 times he'd already went and got my father from Marion, from Reesville, from Alto, from Jackson. Each time he went, he simply told the warden he, uh, he needed him to... Uh, talk to him about this crime or that crime. And all that had to be done by a sheriff then was simply sign a paper. The sheriff had that power. Seems unreal today, but the sheriff had that power. So he could take any convict in America from Charles Manson to Billy Burt to anybody else and simply say, I'm the sheriff of so-and-so, I want so-and-so, and sign a paper and leave with him. Same day, no paperwork. When he would go get him, he would keep him from one to four weeks and take him back. During the time that he had him in the Douglas County Jail, he would uh, give two directives. He don't leave the cell unless I'm here. Anything he wants to eat, give it to him. Now, he's going to want fried bologna, uh, buttermilk, and onions. Make sure we got plenty in the kitchen. That's my daily thing, you know. During one of the many times Sheriff Lee brought Billy to the small jail in Douglasville, Georgia, Stoney asked if he could provide his father with a video camera in his cell to record stories and memories for his grandchildren so that in some way they might get to know him in the future. Sheriff Lee obliged. What you're about to hear is actually Billy Sunday Burt speaking, though Stoney clarifies what it is he's saying, as it can be very difficult to understand Burt with his speech impediment. Burt provides a very intimate look into his innermost thoughts and feelings, as he reflects on his life and his many mistakes. I looked at the man who was there cell that night coming out of the way of him. And I looked around and nobody helped me. I didn't think about home, didn't think about my mom. 
Look around this little, little cell. Sometimes at night, when I'm living here, I look around, nobody here but me. I guess I'm at home, about your mama, about y'all. It make me sick. I mean, just, just sick. But I got nobody to blame but myself. I can't put it on dope. Well, yeah, you can't put it on dope. Because uh, when you get so hooked on damn pills, dope, you, you, you get so hooked on them, you don't give a damn about nobody. You just don't. All you want is just somewhere to go. You just don't, all you want is just another pill. So I can put it on dope. If I had never got on dope, I know for sure I wouldn't be here. You're supposed to know better that take that dope to start with. You put something in your body that you know is going to change your mind, going to make you do things that you know wrong. You you just can't blame it on dope. You have to blame it on yourself. If I was helping, I would have If I was out now, I would uh, slap the flying hell out of anybody off me a shot of dope any kind. For it ain't nothing but a downfall to you. And all you're doing, hurt yourself, hurt your family. So in a way, I can blame me being on dope. But it's my fault for taking the goddamn dope. I knew better than that. For the past 17 years, I sure have missed a whole lot. Being with you, all my kids, grandkids growing up, I don't know just where it's going to end neither but I've been very lucky to have a family that I got for y'all been to see me it's been real nice to me more people family forget about them Manhattan my whole family just been just very nice to me it's, uh, I want y'all to know I really do love you uh, just just and I'd give anything, all the money in the world. If I had all money in the world, I'd give it all just to be home, just to be home with you. So boys, that should just tell you something right there. What I did, everything I did, I did for money. Didn't do nothing else, just for money. But now, if I had all the money in the world, every penny, and they tell me, Bert, you could go home, just give up all the money. I'd give every damn bit of it. I wouldn't spend another day in this prison or this little jail cell for all the money in the world. I don't have a choice now. Son, sometimes I just... Mad at my own damn self, just 
just doing a damn food. The lessons Billy taught in his videos were not just for his grandchildren, but for his children, who he felt he abandoned when he went to prison. It was during one of these many visits, when Sheriff Earl Lee brought Bert back to Douglasville, that he would put it all on the line for his friend. He would risk his reputation and his career to help Bert see the light and ask forgiveness for his sins properly in the eyes of God. So Sheriff Lee comes to my father, as my father brought to his office, and that's when my father told him about the dream of the 60s and the, uh, and the visions of 84 who he stabbed. And that yes, as of last few weeks, God had been tugging at him and that conversation is private between them and what was it, I don't know. But Mr. Lee comes to the conclusion that it was his job as a Christian to see this through. So he said, okay, Billy, I won't take you to be baptized. I want you to tell me, do you willing or you want to? And my dad considered it for two days. And when he talked again, he told him, don't you have a pond? Didn't you tell me he had a pond at your house? He said, yes, I do. He said, take me to your pond and baptize me. That's I don't want it to be public. I don't want it to be, the media to be involved. And Sheriff Lee told him, he said, Billy, I, I don't feel right doing that. You need to be baptized in the house of God. Now, listen, you can pick any church you want. Hell, if you don't have a church you want, then you come to my church. So my father had that considered. He said, well, if that's my choices, I'd like to be baptized by my son, who had been an ordained minister for less than a year right there in the wine church. Sheriff Lee said, no problem. So he called me, told me to bring my mother, come the next day. When we got there, Sheriff Lee broke it down to us. We were just flabbergasted. This was news to us. My father never played with uh, religion. He never, it was, never was an issue. He didn't believe in it. Uh, most people who get picked up and go to prison immediately become born again Christian. It was all bullshit to him. He would have no part of it. But clearly, something was changing in Billy Burt. Whatever it was, he felt that God was speaking to him and once again offering him a chance to be saved. He wouldn't be foolish enough to decline that offer a second time. But I could tell that he was sincere. And he wasn't embarrassed about it. He was nervous about it because, let's face it, he'd been in prison now I went to... Uh, 18 years. When you're in solitary for 18 years, and all of a sudden you're going to be thrown out into the public, especially something as extreme from being the deadest man in Georgia history to a man being baptized, <laughs> that, that gives you cause for pause, you know. So uh, he asked us, what do we think? Naturally, I, I was happy. I said, Dad, uh, I'm so happy I can't tell you. Because I seen it was real. It was no games to play. He knew there was never a chance for parole. He knew that it had nothing to do with it, so did Mr. Lee. Listening to this story unfold, I can't help but think, why would Sheriff Lee, an upstanding, honest lawman, bend the very law he was sworn to uphold and risk his reputation and illustrious career to help a murderer? 
But as a devout Christian, Lee felt it was his duty as such. For in the eyes of God, everyone deserves the right to ask forgiveness. Sheriff Lee saw something in Billy, whether he wanted to or not, that made him want to help him get as close to right with God as he could. From Imperative Entertainment, this is In the Red Clay. Well, he wasn't breaking the law. He was stretching it to the furthest points of hell. He he didn't care what happened to him there on. He was listening to what in his words, in his mind, his heart, God had told him to do. This may be the only time I've ever heard of Sheriff Lee talking like this. Because Sheriff Lee, for lack of a better word, was wide earp. There was no... Uh, Flim flam in the guy. There was no uh, marshmallow in him. He was a a pillar of the community and a standard for a a sheriff who would not trade one single. Uh, he wouldn't rationalize himself into breaking the law for anything. He was unbreachable. He was not for sale. Nothing could stop him from being a lawman. Nothing could change his morals. I found out later he was as much of a Christian as the lawman. The whole town of Douglasville already knew this, but we didn't. Go ahead. Mr. Lee said, let me make this very plain. This, this must have been a Wednesday, middle of the week. He says, if this gets out, he will lose any chance he has of being baptized in the house of God. And that would be a terrible sin in my way of thinking. It's imperative that neither of you tell a living soul, not his sisters, not nobody. Because if he gets out and one person shows up or one leak gets the news, he he's going to be baptized in a cow pond, and that would be a tragedy. So we keep it secret. Church is just a small 1,500, 2,000, 2,500 square foot, small church, one front door, a basement for Sunday school, a steeple, the epitome of a small town, 50 to 150 congregation member church. Made of red brick, been there about 40 years, uh, long history as a apostolic, evangelical church. Uh, as homey as you can imagine. Uh, there's just as many uh, people dressed in very well-pressed blue jeans and white shirts as they are suits. Church attire. Poor people. So on Sunday at 5.30 p.m., Sheriff Lee pulled up in one car. Two of his most trusted men dressed in suits like they were going to church. He was the only one that had his uniform on pull up in there, walked him into the church, a pair of black pants and a white shirt that he let me go by him. No one at the church knew what was happening or that Bert would be there until he arrived. Stoney rented a camcorder to record a video of the baptism, and he kept the film rolling the entire time. One of Stoney's brothers, who had recently become an ordained minister, if you can believe it, 
would perform the baptism on their father. Had no shackles, had no restraints whatsoever, simply a pair of dress shoes, black pants, and a white shirt, as if he'd walked, come to church and had planned it that day and come from Sunday dinner. Could have been a man right straight off the street, could have been, uh, could have been the grandpa or the father or the brother, anyone in there. There was absolutely no law enforcement. The only thing that gave it away was Sheriff Lee in uniform. You heard that right. Bert, the most dangerous man in Georgia history, the man who had killed over 50 people, was brought to the church with absolutely no restraints of any kind. They just walked in the back door. Church had just started. And I never forget uh, a young guy. His name was Ferguson. He was the grandson of the elder preacher of the church. He was singing a song called The Lighthouse. It was a beautiful song. But that song was playing as he went down the aisle. And it just seemed to fit. And to this day, I can play that song and hear it. And my whole family hears it. And we just go back to that time. But... On a Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Anyway, he walked in. Sheriff Lee and his his two guys went one to the left, one to the right, the back of the church, and stood there like they was at a funeral or something in in, uh, in suits. Sheriff Lee he walked down and sat on the front pew to the left. My father walked a third pew from the back and sat down between me and my mother. And that's when people started looking. Now. They continued to have church for 20 minutes. And by this time, the whole Hey Howard delegation was about to bug out, you know, with curiosity and awe and all that goes with it. After 20 minutes of him sitting there on the pew, all the grandkids sitting in his lap, all that stuff, and me steadily recording. Pastor Baker, the pastor of the church, speaks to us says, tells the congregation, we have a special event tonight. We have Billy Burt here with us. His hometown, everybody there knowed him, knowed of him. We have a very unusual uh, event. Billy Burt's here to be baptized. Uh, I want this. I want everybody to make you feel welcome. And what he all he said, I don't remember. But tonight, God has performed a miracle. There's a man here that I have never met. I have met a lot of his lovely family. By that time, he says, Stoney, can you and your brothers bring your dad on down? Stoney and several others began to parade Bert down the center aisle of the small church. 
It would change out of the black dress pants and neatly pressed white-collared dress shirt Stoney bought him for the occasion into his prison uniform for the baptism so that he wouldn't get his clothes wet. The audio you're hearing is from the recording Stoney made. This has never been heard outside of the Burt family before. This is Billy Burt. Their family's here tonight. God's reached down and touched his family. One by one, he touched them. Tonight, he's here. As Brother Baker, myself, and my brother escorted my father to the back to help him get undressed, ready for the baptism, there was a visiting uh, evangelical preacher there who had no knowledge this was going to happen, and he's just as much all anybody. So while the music's playing and they're, you know, most time when you're doing a baptism, while they're getting ready, they're playing hymns and and people are up praising. Well, this preacher uh, who was visiting, when he realized what was going on, looking back on it, give one hell of a sermon. <laughs> he, I bet he's made 2,500 sermons out of it. When he comes to his grips with what was going on, he let it roll. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ at Winder. God will continue to move. Hallelujah. It's not going to be long till I believe that God's going to fill this place up with hearts and souls. Yeah, Amen. Great. I don't care who it is. There might be some people who have problems with things, but I want you to know I don't care who it is. If they need God, they need to repent, find God, and be saved in this hour that we are living in. Hallelujah. A lot of people have dictated that they wanted pretty churches and they want this and that, but I'm telling you, God's looking for somebody to save. Let our hearts be open that God might save them. Amen. May the Lord bless this family. Because what's taking place tonight does not happen. It does not happen. This is something that you do not make a practice of. But you know what? There's a God that we serve that is an authority above all authority. Amen. I thank the Lord that we have this opportunity tonight. Amen. I would ask tonight that you would stand in prayer. Amen. Brother Baker, uh, after we got dressed, and all, Brother Baker come back out. And there was Sheriff Lee on front. And while we were getting ready there in the back, with no supervision whatsoever, Brother Baker says, Sheriff Lee, would you mind saying a few words while we're getting Billy ready? And Sheriff Lee got up, walked up on the stand, and he did. I'd like for Sheriff Lee to say a word here tonight, amen, about this man. I met Billy Sunday Burt August 12, 1975, <clears throat> during my work. Later, I met his family and got better acquainted with them and Burt. During the conversation I had with Burt, he told me about an experience he had with the Lord. I never tried to push religion on him over all the years I've met him. He said one night he was lying in bed and a bright light come over his bed. And all he had to do was reach up and the Christ would take care of him and he wouldn't do it. He said he thought the devil had stoned him and he'd run out in the road naked. When he brought my father to be baptized, Sheriff Lee stood at the front and tears continually streamed down his face the whole time this was going on. 
He didn't cry, but tears streamed in his face. I think he was tears of joy. I think in his mind, he was doing God's work. My brother was getting ready to baptize him, and he stopped him. And when he stopped him, he reached into his pocket, right there on his chest, and he pulled out something in the palm of He had big hands like me, and you couldn't see what it was. What Billy pulled out of his breast pocket was a small Polaroid picture. He looked at it, and you seen his lips move, and he put that to his chest, like this right here, put both hands over it, and died okay. And my brother baptized him. Well, when he came up out of the water, he looked at that picture and he talked to it again. Nobody knew what the picture was, and he put it back in his pocket. I couldn't wait to find out what that was. My father had a whole demeanor different before he wanted us to move, where he come out from under it, the water. Before you could see in his eyes, he had he was ready to get out of there. He'd rather be anywhere than there because after 18 years in solitary, all these people, he'd 10 times rather been in that cow pond. On September 6, 1992, the notorious gangster, hitman, murderer, Billy Sunday Burt, was baptized. To our knowledge, something like this had never happened before. And thanks to several laws being changed directly due to the way Sheriff Lee took Burt out of federal prison for the baptism, it will likely never happen again. Well, the church had a big praising ceremony there. They took my father out of there, got him dressed in his black pants and white shirt, brought him back out, give me his uh, his Jackson uniform. First thing I done was took that out, and it was a picture of his mother. The kind of picture that you used to take on those cameras that immediately spit the picture out. So he took his mother under with him, the one that named him Billy Sunday after the evangelist preacher. She named him Billy Sunday. She tried to raise him to follow that path. She always knew there was goodness in him. And I think that he was just, I don't know where he was thanking her or hoping she was there seeing it or whatever, but it was very important to him that she be present with him when he was baptized. I asked Stoney if he knew what his father whispered to the picture of his mother kept in his breast pocket. Got no idea. It don't really matter. You know what it was that was precious between a mother and a son. Certainly something I wouldn't ask him. It's just too precious. It's too, too sentimental. It's too private. But when the pastor, Brother Baker, asked him if he had anything like to say, I expected him to say no. But Sean, I'm telling you, 
I don't know what happened to him when they when they when they dunked him, but when he he said yeah, and he went up on that preacher's puppet, and he talked as plain as a judge. Amen, 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 amen. I want you to know tonight that God is in the saving business. That's what we're doing here tonight. I ask, if it's all right, I'm going to call this brother Bert. Amen, brother Billy Bert back here, senior. And I'm going to ask him to come. I ask if he wish to say some words, and he does. I'm going to tell you, though, I don't know if I can tell him or not what he said when he come out. Let me just let him talk first. Come right here and speak into this one. Bless him, God. Do you probably won't understand me? What I say, but bless him. I don't talk like this, but I really don't, I don't say about that. But I'm not fit to be here tonight. If I hadn't been black man right here, Sheriff R.D. Lee, I would go and take me down to the pond in the woods and just baptize me. He thanked the church for having him there because he wasn't worth, worthy of being in the doors. He thanked Jesus for, for giving him another chance to save his soul. He thanked Jesus for coming to him the night he was supposed to kill Sheriff Lee and stopping him. I know I wasn't fit to be here, but that man right there and my wife and Tony talking to him here. And I want to thank you for doing that. Praise God. And I... He thanked a doctor that was in the crowd for writing him a letter eight or nine years previously, telling him about the Word of God and that no soul was unsavable. Told that doctor that was standing in the crowd that he'd read that many, many times. It had been a bit of influence on him. Been reading it three, four times a day. But Dr. Sarah, you remember what he wrote me? About 85, I want to thank you, buddy. And I didn't want to thank Jesus for being tonight. And I want to thank the family. And I want to thank every one of you for what they tonight. Told the church, he said, Y'all might not know this, and he thought a minute. He said, "Well, I know you don't know it because I ain't never told nobody." Most of all, I want to thank Jesus. I'm gonna tell y'all something you might not know. It. I mean, I know you don't know it. Don't never know it. About 1972, I was paid to tell this man right here, Sheriff R.D. Lee, and I told him to be working at church when he went to church on Sunday night. And he changed church. He didn't tell church right now. He said, uh, and something happened, I didn't. And I want to thank Jesus for without this man being here today, not only I not be here, there's so many people that would still be free. This man has put more people away that need to be put away than any man in the state of Georgia. And he just talked this as plain as I've ever heard him, and I've never heard him talk that plain before or after. So if you ask me, do I think that he had to get the Holy Ghost? Not in the sense that me and you have seen other people jump up and down talking in tongues. But when you talk like Billy Burt, you can't even speak in a bank, and you come out of the water and you talk like a Philadelphia lawyer, to me, that's talking in tongues. When, uh, when church, when all that was over, the preacher said, okay, we'll invite everybody to stay because we have one uh, wonderful meal waiting down here. We've, this, As you know, this is homecoming week, and we have everybody's brought a dish, and Sheriff Lee, you and your men are more welcome to stay and 
We hope you'll let Billy stay. We all went right down the hill, right into that gymnasium. As they made their way from the sanctuary to the small gymnasium, Sheriff Lee and Bert stood on the front steps of the church and each spoke a few more words. Honest, God talked to me Friday night after telling this man to come here to this church and be baptized. I was going to baptize him in my barn where I got a swimming pool. But I was the one that punned just me and him. Nobody ever up. <laughs> Wasn't he ashamed of Jesus? It was no. the fact he didn't want things to say. Well, he's trying to use the church to get nothing. Bert don't want nothing. I don't want nothing. No. I know I might don't get out no way. Yeah. I, 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 I don't. Ain't looking for nothing but salvation of his soul. Chef Lee, even the Lord's death. I think I speak my whole family sir, when I tell you we all love you. I know you do, Tony. I do you. I love you. Sure do. Okay, we won't say no more about it. Can't thank you enough. Yeah, better go. Bert sat with his family and Sheriff Lee. They ate together, joked and laughed together, as old friends would. He bounced the grandchildren on his knee, told jokes. It was as if it was an ordinary dinner with friends and family. Bert still had no shackles or restraints on him. Oh, they made all kind of uh, conversation. The camaraderie and the gestures and the banter that went back and forth between them is such a good humored, uh, good friendship, fellowship, brotherhood sort of way is. I can't, I can't do it justice. I'm not going to try. And I never will forget when the preacher asked Sheriff Lee to say the blessing. He said, thank you, Lord, for the meat. Let's eat. Of course, Bert, being a bit of a jokester at heart, quickly reminded people who he was, even though it was said in good humor. While talking to the local undertaker, who had become a good friend to the Bert family, Billy joked that the man better not make a move on his wife because he'd hate to have to break out of prison and come visit him. The man simply said, Well, you think about this. I bury the dead. To which Billy replied, Son, I buried a few myself. And then he caught himself and he said, But, but, but not no more. <laughs> and we spent, we spent the next hour and a half down there eating with all the camaraderie and all them people coming up. And by the time we all walked out of that gymnasium, it was just getting twilight. And everybody in that church, from kid to old person, felt like they had no Billy all their life. My daddy. It was just like, it was just like one of the grandkids had been baptized. It was just that much camaraderie. It was a real spirit there that day. Sheriff Earl Lee certainly felt the Holy Spirit. He offered to take Billy to visit his mother's grave before returning him to the jail. They left the church at twilight. They got 20 minutes from the church, White Plains, where he's buried today, where his mother and stepfather Pete and all his brothers, sisters, everybody was dead to family at that point. Sheriff Lee took him there to visit his mother's grave, who had died in 80, 86, and he was able to bend down and spend time on his mother's grave and was able to talk to her. And uh, all that was recorded by Sheriff Lee's daughter, and, and they give it to me. Okay. Somebody put flowers there recently. The first time I've been. The first time I've been here. Yeah. I guess he spent 30 minutes at the church before Sheriff Lee took him back, and it had gotten dark 
but the light of the camera lets you see just enough to see everything. I watched the dark, grainy video of Bert visiting his mother's grave. And again, I wondered, why the hell didn't they have any kind of restraints on? Not even handcuffs. In the video, the men are standing out in a dark cemetery, surrounded by thick rows of trees on either side. It would have been easy for the other members of the Dixie Mafia to ambush Lee and his two men. Bert could have escaped right there, relatively easily. Sheriff Lee asked him, he said, Billy, I don't want to take you in the house of God in restraints. I want you to give me your word. I want you to give me your word that you won't try to escape. If you do give me your word you won't try to escape, I won't handcuff you. If you do try to escape, I'll kill you. My father said, you got my word, Sheriff Lee. Now, after that, my daddy was telling about that story. He says, boys, I want you to always remember that. If a man's word ain't no good, he's no good. Sheriff Lee asked me for my word that I wouldn't try to escape. And make no mistake, he is a lawman. He would, he would blow me away. But he took my word and he believed my word. He said, if you got that, you're one of the richest men on earth. It seems the bond, the trust, the code of respect that Earl Lee and Billy Burt had for one another was very much real. Burt was taken back to prison without incident. Sheriff Earl D. Lee would retire the following year, and the two men would remain close friends until Lee's death in 1998. But Lee, even in death, would do one more favor for Billy Burt a last true gesture of friendship. When Sheriff Lee died, my father was still on death row. Wayne Garner was the commissioner of the Department of Corrections. That is the highest position in the Department of Corrections in Georgia. He ruled with an iron fist, went to Jackson, Georgia, told the warden he wanted to meet with Billy Burt. When Daddy walked into the room, he said, Billy, we've lost a good friend, ain't we? Daddy said, yeah, Mr. Garner, we have. He said, Billy, Sheriff Lee made me promise him on his deathbed that I'd do something and I'm here to do it. He said, they've had you in legal limbo on the death penalty for a number of years now. When I leave here, you're going to be put in population. It means taken off death row, out of segregation, and put in general population so you have the activities of working, having the detail, where it be cutting grass, working here, there, kitchen, whatever. And you could attend church services and stuff like that. And you had a totally different visiting room, one that you could actually touch each other. Sheriff Lee asked me to promise him that I would have this done in order that you could attend church. He stayed in population to the day he passed. In 1998, Billy Burt was taken off death row and placed back into general prison population. Even though he would still live under the same general security protocols as any other death row inmate, he would no longer be executed. He was to live out his remaining days in a cell.
In the Red Clay is a production of Imperative Entertainment. It was created, written, and reported by me, Sean Kipe, and I wrote and created the original music score. Executive producers are Jason Hoke and Gino Falsetto. Story editor is Jason Hoke. Produced and engineered by Shane Freeman, Jason Hoke, and myself. Cover art and design by Gina Sullivan. Voice sessions recorded at Tree Sound Studios, Atlanta, Georgia. Archival footage licensed courtesy of Brown Media Archives, University of Georgia, and WSB-TV in Atlanta, Georgia. In the Red Clay is a 12-episode series with new episodes available every Tuesday. Follow us on Instagram at In the Red Clay Podcast. Have questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. If you like the show, tell your friends and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.